Lead us and guide us. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would fill us now with the Holy Spirit as we listen to your word, as we listen to you. May our hearts be open to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are continuing our sermon series here, walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we're actually going to get to the end of 1 Thessalonians today. We are going to do a recap sermon next Sunday. So what I would encourage you to do then between today and next Sunday is read and reread the book of Thessalonians. I would love to think that this would be a book that would stick with us as we, as we go even throughout the years. And I, I think that, that one more week of study, especially as you dig into it on your own this next week, and then we do the recap sermon next Sunday, might really help you take this book and, and make it your own um, as, as you let, it, let God do his work in your heart. So today we're going to continue this look at the instructions and commands at the end of the letter. The Apostle Paul often does that in his letters. He wrote 13 of the books in the New Testament, and they often end with commands and instructions. And these certainly play a role in our life. They're, they're good for us. They may not seem like it at first. Who wants a list of stuff to do could be a question that some people would ask. But for us, I hope that our hearts are eager to hear from God because these things will help us as we seek to walk with God. Last Sunday, we looked at those three powerful commands, short ones but powerful. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Today we have a few more commands to look at, but they're similar in that they're, they're short and sweet, and they're going to be good for us if we walk accordingly. So we're going to split this passage today up into three sections, each of them dealing with an important part of our walk with God. So the first section I want to look at today is 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 19 through 22. It says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. I have three points today. My first point is listen to what God says. Listen to what God says. Now, as human beings in general, we all like to think that our opinion is the most valid, or at least more valid than anybody else's opinion. Think about this. Now, I like Mountain Dew. Now, I think that it is the best pop in the world, and I I do try to limit myself. I know some of you get concerned when I talk about it, but uh, I do try to limit myself. Um, but most days I have a Mountain Dew. Now earlier this week, Christine was drinking a Mountain Dew and it, was, it caught me by surprise. And uh, so you're drinking a Mountain Dew? And she responded to me by saying, you drink this stuff every day? And I'm like, well, yeah, I do. And so in regard to Mountain Dew, does it matter if, if my opinion is different than Christine's, is different from yours? Probably not. Um, what about another area in which people have differences of opinions? Should, should we talk politics here? For, okay, just, just a little bit, I promise you. We'll get past it. Does it matter? You, you have one candidate you like. I have one candidate I like. We don't agree. Now, those can be really important things, or they can be a lot less important than we think they are sometimes. Uh, but you can see how uh, we walk through life with opinions, and, and sometimes we care deeply about them. Now, we've already talked about politics, let's talk about religion. Uh, Lots of people have lots of different opinions about religion. Lots of people have very strongly held beliefs. I have very strongly held beliefs. So what do we do with that when when opinions differ? How do we handle that? Well, when it comes to spiritual truth, I would hope that what we would see is that there is something higher than merely our opinion. 
that, that we shouldn't treat spiritual truth as if it's just Mountain Dew and it's okay if you don't like it and maybe I do but you don't. If it's spiritual truth from God, I would hope that we would see again that there's something higher than our opinion. And, and that's what I think we're talking about here in verses 19 through 22. It starts out in verse 19 by saying, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Remember at the beginning of the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came? How did he come? With tongues of fire that rested on them. You could also say that a word picture for the Holy Spirit in the Bible is that of a refining fire. And the idea there is that God wants to refine us, to, to lead us away from useless things, from evil things, and to lead us into what is good and right and true. So I would hope then that, that none of us in that sense would be firefighters. That, that when we sense that the Holy Spirit is doing something in our lives, that God has sent the Holy Spirit to do something, that we would listen. Now, practically speaking, how do we do that? Well, I think verse 20 continues the same theme. So verse 19 says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Verse 20 says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. And the idea here is that when the Holy Spirit speaks, we should, of course, listen. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us is through prophecy. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul tells the church to eagerly desire prophecy. Later in that chapter, he gives some guidelines for how that prophecy is to be handled within the church. It's, it's to be discerned. The church together, and, and with, with the church leaders taking the lead, are to come together and, and discern, is this a message from God or not? Now, this all brings up a big question. What is prophecy? Uh, it's a difficult question, although I, I've come to answer that in, in two ways, and they're, they're both valid. First is prophecy includes the prophecies that we see in Scripture. God has sent many prophets to us already, and their words are written to us in God's word. In fact, did you know, as we look back at the Old Testament, as we think about the role of a prophet, did you know that, yes, sometimes they would tell about future things that were to come, but I've heard that more often that, that what the role of the prophet was to take God's word that had already been given to the people and compare it with what the people were doing and just tell them, here's what God's word says and here's what you're doing. So in, in many ways, the role of prophecy in Scripture is like that for us, that we are to get to know what God's word says and we are to apply it to our lives. And specifically, you could say, in regard to sin, we're supposed to continually look at God's word and look at our lives and see if our lives match up to what his word says. I think that that's one of the ways that we can obey this command here where it says do not treat prophecies with contempt and similarly do not put out the Spirit's fire. When God speaks a word to our hearts about what's going on in our lives, we should listen. And again, please, uh, don't be firefighters here. It, it, it is all too possible for us to try to justify this away. When we hear the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts about something that's not right, it's easy for us to say, well, 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 wait a second here, or look at what they're doing, or it's not that bad. But if it's God speaking to us, don't put out the Spirit's fire. Now, another way that we can answer that question, what is prophecy, um, is that God can speak a word directly to us through his children. Now, this one is much more difficult to discern, but here's the idea. If someone comes up to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you, we should hear what they have to say. But then there's another super important step when that happens, and it's in our next two verses, verses 21 to 22. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. So if a message comes to you and it is purported to be from the Lord, what should we do? We should test it. It says test everything. 
Now, this word test, I've really come to appreciate this word lately, and perhaps it's because we have a couple of appraisers in our congregation who have helped me understand what this word means. Uh, the word means to find out what the value is. So you, you think of appraiser, whether they're appraising a piece of land or jewelry, they're looking into it to see how good it is, how much value it has. And for us, we are to do that with spiritual messages. We are to test them, and then what are we supposed to do? Hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. So we are to examine spiritual messages. And the question then becomes, how do we examine spiritual messages? How do we know whether it's from the Holy Spirit or whether it's not? I have four tips that I want to give you here. Number one is hold it up to the light of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there's a message that comes to you and it doesn't fit in with what God has already revealed to us, then that message is not from God. But if that message does line up with God's word in the gospel, then it very well might be from God. Now, I say, I say it very well might be because then we would go on to these next steps. And number two is obvious, prayer. We talk to God about it. Whoa, we're really flipping through. Is there a... There? All right, and we're done. So, um, I, uh, I, think, I think my button got stuck on there. So I'll just... Uh, don't look. Everybody cover your eyes and... Boy, I have a lot to say today, huh? <laughs> okay, there we go. My sermon, actually, my, this sermon is supposed to be a little bit shorter than usual. So, uh, not a lot, so don't get your hopes too high. But, uh, okay, prayer. Uh, here, if a message is from God, we go to prayer. We talk to God about it, and, and God can reveal himself to us. And that's similar to number three, which is the Holy Spirit. When we receive, the whole, uh, excuse me, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we also receive the Holy Spirit. So this God's Spirit lives in us, and that means that God can reveal things directly to us. And I think the way we do this is we use all of these together. So we don't just pick number three and say, I think the Holy Spirit is teaching me, telling me to do something, when, especially if it's something that God's Word has told you not to do, then you shouldn't do it. So these things all work together. And then number four would be wise counsel. Go to people who know you well and people who know God's Word well and tell them what you're thinking. Tell them what you've heard and just hear what they have to say and maybe they'll be able to point something out to you that you'll be able to say, yes, this is from the Lord. In John excuse me, 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6, we're commanded to test the spirits. And the measuring tool we're given there is, is that of Jesus Christ. If it lines up with, with who Jesus is and what he has said, then it's good. And uh, think about it this way as well. The Trinity is so united that one member of the Trinity will never contradict another, another member of the Trinity. So as we walk with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can hear from God. So that, that really should be the goal of our lives, walking with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, meeting with and hearing from God and allowing God to transform his hearts and allowing God to say to us whatever he wants to say. Because God will lead us into what is good. He will never lead us into evil. And then, when we hear God's truth like that, we embrace it wholeheartedly. And, and similarly, if we hear something that's not from him, then we should avoid it. That's what it says in our verses. So don't put out the Spirit's fire. Test everything to see it, if it's from God. In Ephesians 5.10, we are told to find out what pleases the Lord. Well, it pleases the Lord when we hear from him, when we, when we keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So practically speaking, what do we do? By way of application, two things. Number one, we should eagerly seek God's truth. 
we should be people who, who have such a high regard for God's word that we keep seeking him so that when we hear these messages that claim to be from the Lord, we will be able to know what God's word has already said and, and we can embrace what is true and avoid what is false. And as we listen to, to God's truth and as we listen to other messages then, we have a discerning ear. Listen to what you hear with a discerning ear. And, and maybe that's just something that, that some of you need to hear is that... Um, we, we shouldn't be tossed around by the waves. We shouldn't be blown with the wind in this. There, there should be a, a foundation. In fact, uh, there was a verse in Ephesians 2. It says, um, let me see if I have this here. I believe I do. Uh, our, that our faith is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. There should be a sturdiness to our lives as we embrace what God has for us, as we discern what messages are from him and which ones aren't. And it has to do with what God has already revealed to us in his word and in the, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's move on to verses 23 through 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So our second point today is pray for God to do his work in you. Pray for God to do his work in you. Now, this is another model prayer in the Bible. And you know what I say about those model prayers. I love them. I, I want us to look at prayers like this in the Bible and incorporate these things into our prayer lives. There is such a power there when we take God's word and we pray it because we know that when we pray according to his will, he hears us and he answers us. So perhaps one of the takeaways from this sermon today is that you would look at this prayer in verses 23 through 24 and, and weave it into your prayer life. So I want to just point out a few things from this prayer. First, God is addressed as the God of peace in this prayer, which is fantastic because we used to be God's enemies. And it, and it wasn't because he had done anything wrong. It was because we had. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible actually says that we were his enemies. The Bible says that sin is lawlessness. So think of it, that every single act of sin that we have ever committed is rebellion against God. We had set ourselves against him. And what was his response to us? He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus actually took our sin penalty upon himself. Why? Because he's the God of peace and he wants us to live in a relationship with him that is defined by peace now and forever. It's an amazing gift of God that, that we can call him the God of peace and that we can live in a relationship with him defined by peace. What a gift that God has given to us. And as, as I was looking at this prayer this week, I recognized that I don't often in my prayers address God as the God of peace. So there, there's one application for me. I, I think I'm going to start doing that. At least that's my plan, to do that at least a little bit. Next, I want to point out two words in verse 23. Sanctify and blameless. These are very similar words. The word sanctify means to make holy, and the word blameless means pure. So we just sang that song, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy? We were praying the same kind of thing that this prayer is praying right here. The prayer is that we would be made holy and that we would be pure and blameless. Now, on our own, following our own ways, we are not holy. We are not pure. But God can make us holy, and God can cleanse us from every impurity. 
In fact, that's exactly what he's up to in the lives of his children all across the world, is making us holy and making us pure. He leads us into what is good and right. He strengthens us to resist temptation and evil and sin. So let's seek to honor God by living pure lives. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And and the thought here is that because Jesus rescued us from sin and death, through his death and resurrection, he brings us out of sin and brings us into a new life. And in this new life, we shouldn't go back to that way of sin, that way of evil, that way of impurity. God has a new life of holiness and purity for us to live. So what should we do about it? Well, we should pray about it. We should pray that God would do that in us. And and yes, we we should join with him in it as well. Uh, We don't... Um, in, in one sense, just wait for God to do this. Now, of course, we do. It, it's his work. He does it in us. But we join with him in it. As we're praying for him to make us holy and to make us pure, we then should seek to live holy and pure lives. But our prayers will, will not just remind us to live holy and pure lives. Our prayers will be answered by God and he will strengthen us to live holy and pure lives. So how often have you been praying like that? that God would make you holy and pure. How often have you been praying like that for the people you love, that God would make them holy and pure? God can do this. He can strengthen us to walk in holiness and in purity. Okay, and this is important as we, our holiness and purity are important as we think about the next part of verse 23, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians has, has mentioned this several times. And... Um, Sometimes I have to admit that the, the thought of Jesus coming again seems foreign to me. Does that, I, I'm guessing I'm not the only one here. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying I denied a second coming. Not at all. I, I firmly believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. But are you ever, ever like me, and sometimes you just get so focused on the day-to-day stuff of life that you, you, you do, in a sense, take your eyes off the second coming of Christ. We're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus, and I think part of that is that remembrance that he is coming again. We're all tempted to live simply for the things that we want, for, for the stuff of life, for the day-to-day stuff that we have to take care of. But a much better pattern is to live our lives in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he comes, we will want to be found living holy and blameless and pure lives. So what should we do? We should pray about it. Like, again, this model prayer here. We, in our prayers, we should talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. What's that going to do in our lives? If we're praying about the second coming, well, it's going to remind us that Jesus is coming again. And if it reminds us that Jesus is coming again, it reminds us that we should be living holy and pure lives. And God will answer our prayers to live that kind of a life. Okay, and then one last part about this prayer, verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Over the years, a few people have picked this verse out and saying, I really love this verse. So I, I like it too. This reminder that God is faithful and he will work powerfully in our lives. Oftentimes in my life, I feel like I don't have the strength or the wisdom to do what I need to do. Whether it's a do-it-yourself project in the house, like uh, fixing my sink, like I talked about last Sunday, or, or whether it's giving leadership in a church. There are many, many, many times in my life where I feel like I don't have it. And it's interesting, I think, in regard to our work, uh, in regard to the way we live our lives, I think in many ways this world wants us to think that we have to be self-sufficient, that we have to do it on our own. And don't get me wrong, I think we're supposed to take care of things. 
my, my point in saying this isn't, oh, I just don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to take care of it. Well, no, you don't have to worry about it. But yes, you do have to take care of the things that God wants you to take care of. But remember this. God is faithful, and he will do it. So a huge part of the way we walk through life is trusting that God will take care of the stuff of life, trusting that he will equip us and give us the strength we need to live the lives that he wants us to live. We're not meant to do this life alone. We trust that God gives us what we need. The pastor theologian John Stott said, God upholds those whom he calls and fulfills that which he has promised. We can rely on his steadfast love, which never fails, but endures forever. I like that. I just like even better how it's said in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that a refreshing reminder? That, that God will do his powerful work in us as we walk with him. And the application then here is very simple. Very simple. Pray like this. The prayer that we see in verses 23 through 24, pray like that. Do you pray like that? Are you praying that God would sanctify you, make you holy, that he would make you blameless and pure? Do you pray in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ? Do you know that God is the God of peace and that God is faithful and that he will continue to work in your life? And those, those same truths that we should be praying for ourselves, are you praying those things for other people as well? I want to urge you to get in the habit of making your prayers sound more and more like these verses and like the other prayers that we see in the Bible. Let's move on to the last section now, verses 25 through 28. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My third point today is remember the importance of Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship. In these four verses, I want to point out some things to you that should be a regular part of our fellowship with each other. First, in verse 25, the Apostle Paul said, Brothers, pray for us. Even the Apostle Paul knew that he needed prayer. So who are the people that you are praying for? And who are the people who are praying for you? Last Sunday, I kind of addressed that first question, who are the people you are praying for? I challenge you to get a a, a regular list of people that you're praying for. But my question today is different. It's the other side of that same coin. Who are the people who know you well enough that they're praying for the, the things that are important in your life? Do you have those kinds of people that have, that have heard you share prayer requests with them? Or maybe they just know you so well that they can even see it without you having to ask them. Do you know people that well who know you spiritually so well that they know what to pray about? And if not, I just want to urge you to change something in your life. One of the ways that this really happens, we were just talking about this at our leadership team meeting this week, is that we see this happening in our small group Bible studies and in our men's and women's groups. We get to know each other, and the stuff of life comes up as we're talking, and we pray for those things. So I just want to urge you to have people in your life who know you well enough that they can pray for you and that you would be that kind of a person for them as well. Don't underestimate your need for prayer. Okay, next, from verse verse 26, uh, let's show brotherly love to each other. Paul told the people of Thessalonica to greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, most theologians see this as a cultural thing. In many cultures, they, they greet each other by kissing each other. 
Now, I lived in one of those cultures, and it was very uncomfortable for me. I lived in Turkey for a year, and they would greet each other, kind of that European kiss on one cheek, kiss on the other cheek. And honestly, I was, I was just a little uncomfortable with it. And uh, towards the end of the year, uh, I, and I would do this with some people, and I guess I wouldn't do it with others. And one of my friends came up, one of my Turkish friends came up to me at the end of the year, and he said, Eric, I know that you're uncomfortable with that whole kiss thing, but it kind of insults me. <laughs> so, like, uh, okay. Um, my bad. Um, the heart behind what Paul is saying here, though, in this verse, I think is fellowship and love. He's urging the, the people to be in, in closer fellowship with each other and to let their bonds be shown by this holy kiss. And I guess one way to look at it is you can't kiss somebody that you're not physically in proximity with. So the idea here is that we would be around people and that we would have such close bonds of fellowship that there would be something there, even physically, to show it. I did read some theologians who would say a handshake or a hug will do. Um, But the idea here is that we would insist on being in close fellowship with each other, people who are so close to us that you could almost kiss them if you weren't so Scandinavian like me. All right, next. Um, Verse 27 gets at the idea of upholding God's word in our fellowship. Upholding God's word. In Paul's day, remember, they didn't have Bibles like we do. They had scripture, but they they didn't have the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all collated into one nice book for them. In fact, the Gospel of John probably hadn't even been written to them written yet. Um, So what Paul wrote to them was scripture, and and they were to have such a high regard for it that Paul told them that they were to read it to all the brothers. So you can see how this letter had an important place in their lives, and they were to remember it and to help each other remember it. Now for us, we are much more blessed than they are in this regard because we have the Bible in our hands, and most of us know how to read. Both of those things weren't true 2,000 years ago. So, let's get to know our Bibles. But let me say this too. This isn't just about us getting to know our Bibles privately and individually, although I'm a huge fan of that, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, and I'll just emphasize it here. I am highly in favor of you meeting with God and His Word every day, finding a quiet time and a quiet place to open up God's Word, have a humble heart before Him and say, God, what do you want me to hear? So we should do that, but also... We should collectively have a high regard for God's word. That means that when we come together, scripture should be central in what we do. That means that uh, both as individuals and collectively as a church, we should insist that when we gather together, that scripture is central and scripture is honored. And I know a lot of you are saying, I know, I know, I get it. We talk about that a lot here. And that's good. And one of the reasons I say it is I want you to remind me of that. If I ever forget, I want you to be right there to remind me of it. But I also want you to know, if, if you should move away, or if I should move away, or whatever, whatever circumstance of life you're in, I want you to insist on the Bible having a central place in your life, not just privately, but as you gather with other believers as well. That means Sunday morning. That means uh, as you get together in small group Bible studies, or men's and women's group, whatever it is, let's make sure that we are honoring God by honoring His Word and getting to know it. In 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul told Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Um, And in our day and age, there are some churches, they read Scripture, and then they get away from it. And let's not be like that. Let's read Scripture and, and stick with it. 
And let's do that individually and let's do it collectively. And then finally, like it says in verse 28, we are to remind each other of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that it is with us. The grace of God is so important to the Apostle Paul that he started each of his 13 letters with it and ended with it. So you you flip from Romans through Philemon and you see the Apostle Paul starting and ending each letter with grace. God's grace is his gift to us. The word grace literally means gift. It's, It's the gift of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is something that we should be reminding each other of regularly. God is gracious to us. He loves us and wants us to be with him. Okay, let's uh, conclude this sermon now. In my mind, these final instructions that we see all the way from verse 12 through 28 are from the heart of a pastor, or you could even say from the heart of a parent, that that Paul acted as both of those in the lives of the Thessalonians. He was a a pastor bringing God's word to them and shepherding them, and he also was like a parent, like he says in chapter 2, both like a mother and a father to them. And perhaps Paul was unsure that he would ever see these people again, so I kind of get the feel that these instructions and commands were things that he wanted to, to pass on to them, thinking that maybe he would never see them again. And it got me thinking... What are the things that I would say to you if I was unsure that I would ever see you again? And that got me to thinking, I bet that there are some of you that could come up here and and preach my last sermon for me, which uh, you know what I would say. And, And my response to that is that's no mistake on my part. There are certain things that I want to remind you of. For example, Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. The fact that he's Savior means that he saves us from our sins, and that's a good deal because we have all sinned. And there's nothing we can do to make it up to God. It's only through what Jesus did for us that we can be saved. So it is vital that we know Jesus as our Savior. But also it is vital that we know Jesus as our Lord. As our Lord, he is our master. He is the one who is in charge. So as we're thinking about who's in control of our life, the correct answer is Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And we are to follow him all the days of our lives. So when we conclude our service like we do every Sunday now with Colossians 2, 6, and 7, it reminds us that we are to receive Jesus as Lord and we are to continue to live in him. And then how do we continue to live in him? Well, I often talk about three things. Talk about God's word and prayer and fellowship with other believers. and, and I'm not just making those up off the top of my head. Those are three things that I repeatedly say. If you were to ask me, what does it mean to be a Christian? What are some things we should do on a daily basis? I would say those three things many times. Now, I just want you to look back at what we looked at today. I'm going to put my, my three points on here from these three sections of Scripture we looked at. Listen to what God says. That has to do with His Word. Pray for God to do His work in you. And remember the importance of Christian fellowship. I think that's what Paul is doing here, is the heart of a pastor, the heart of a parent, saying to these people, this is the kind of stuff that you should be doing as you move on from here. I don't know if I'm ever going to see you again, so I, I give this stuff to you so that you will walk in it. So the questions I want to close with today, number one, do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? And if you've never given your heart to him, I, I urge you to do that right now. You can talk to him in prayer right now, to receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, to give your life to him, to receive the forgiveness that comes only from him. Then from there, we are to keep walking with Jesus as our Lord. And we're to do that by listening to God's word. So how's that going in your life? Are you committed to God's word? Are you meeting with God in his word regularly on your own? And are you committed to being part of a fellowship where God's word is upheld and studied and honored? 
And then, secondly, prayer. In the section of Scripture we looked at last Sunday, Paul gave that short but very difficult command to pray continually. How's that been going for you? Have you been remembering to pray more throughout your day, just to talk to God about the stuff of life? We're going to be blessed if we do, because we were talking about this this morning in Sunday school, that when we pray, God changes our heart. When we pray, we come to more of an understanding of what God's will is. And and here is where God's word and prayer work together. When we pray, God reminds us of what he's already given to us, and he changes our heart so that we would want to embrace what he has for us. Because the best place to be is in the center of God's will. And then third, the importance of Christian fellowship. How's this one going for you? God didn't create us to do this life alone. Of course he wants us to do life with him, but he also wants us to do life with each other, that we would encourage each other of God's grace, that we would encourage each other to look into God's word, that we would remind each other to pray, that we would share each other's burdens, that we would share each other's joys, that we would help each other out when needed. And all of that happens as we get to know each other and, and we live in such close proximity, again, like, that we can almost kiss each other. So are you living out a dedication to God's word, to prayer, and to fellowship with other believers? And I just want to encourage you, is, is any one of those areas weak? Just talk to God about that and, and see what God would have you do to strengthen that area of life. And then, last thing I'll say here, remember that God is faithful. He will keep doing his powerful work in you as you keep seeking him and walking with him. God is faithful. He will do it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for these instructions and commands that we know come from your heart because you love us and want us to walk with you. God, I pray that we would all know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and that we would keep walking with him as Lord and that we would do so by by honoring your word and listening to what you say. Help us to do that hard work of of discerning and of testing because we don't want to put out the Spirit's fire. So help us to listen to whatever you say to us, God. Give us wisdom to do that. And then God, I pray that you would mold us into a a praying people. Help us to be people who talk to you throughout our day, whose hearts are always willing to meet with you and to hear from you and to be changed by you. And God, I pray that you would bless our fellowship as well. I pray that you would bless us with a blessing of sweet fellowship where our hearts are encouraged as we meet with other people. God, that's one of my constant prayers for us is that In our fellowship, we would encourage each other to walk with you. I pray that that Cornerstone Church would be known for that, that we would know it from the inside and that that people uh, on the outside would see us shining as lights as we love each other and as we're involved in each other's lives. God, help us then to remember in all of this, it's your work to do it. You're the one who will sanctify us and make us blameless. We pray for you to do your wonderful work in our hearts and in our lives to change us and to mold us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. God, may this all be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.